We're back. It's the Football Faithful Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Steen, and while there's still no actual football to talk about, it certainly feels like we're getting closer to it. But while we look forward to that, we're going to continue looking back at some of our all-time favourite footballers. Last time I hosted, we were talking about the ni- how the 90s seemed to throw up an unusual amount of midfield maestros, and this week we're going to shift our focus just slightly to pick our top five Premier League wing wizards from the 90s. Joining me to do that, as always, is Peter Henry. Hi, Peter. Evening, lads. Anthony Kelly's there as well. Hi, Ant. Evening, all. And Deck Coleman's there too. How are you, Deck? How's it going? Not too bad. Actually, I just switched on Twitter a second ago and I saw Declan is number two trending in Irish Twitter. I was a little bit worried about what you might have done, but it's fine. It's not you. Uh, let's get back to the pod. It's uh, a position, Peter, the wing. Uh, or wide wingers anyway that's sort of gone out of fashion hasn't it um, now we've inverted wingers playing on the wrong side as it were players who cut inside and switch positions but back then they were wide men the position wasn't just on the right it was outside right and these guys were expected to hug the touchline and while new tactics probably are more effective that's why they're doing them 90 style wingers were a lot of fun weren't they? Yeah they sure were Sam this was back when you know nearly every team in the Premier League played four four two. Back at a time where you know if you were a player, you already knew who you were, who were, you would be marking before the game played. Whereas now the systems are so fluid, and um, that that it's hard hard to know who you're going to be up against all the time. Um, yeah, like you said, wingers were were so much different then. A lot of like nowadays, there's a lot of front trees and the inverted winger that kind of cuts inside. So you know, a left foot, footer playing on the right like Aryan Robin or a right footer like, say, Neymar or someone cutting in from, from the left, getting shots off, playing off the, the front men. But back in the 90s, a winger's real job, they didn't really post big numbers at all in, in terms of goals like the attacking wide players do now to play in front, front trees. They cannot, nowadays, you know, you look at the likes of Mane and Salah, Sterling, they can often outscore the team's main striker. But back in the 90s, their main job was to get down the byline. They attack the outside as opposed to the inside that they do now. Get down to the byline and get your cross in. And I actually, uh, Miguel Delaney did a, a piece in the, in the Independent recently about the golden age of English strikers. And it, it was interesting because in the 90s, and it's steadily declined, I think at, a, at its peak, the amount of headed goals in the Premier League, mostly by strikers, represented 25% of the entire goals scored in the season. And it's down to about 17%. So it just shows the teams just aren't, you know, that getting to the byline and putting it in the mixer, as we used to say a lot. It just just isn't um, done as much. But, yeah, it, like, great fondness thinking back at, at some of the the 90s wingers you know they were so so direct just take on your man every time you get you got the ball that was their kind of job so uh looking forward looking forward to revealing my list here and and what the lads have to say as well well i think there's going to be some arguments as to what constitutes a winger uh as we go forward so let's see who have you got then peter i went for david ginola mm-hmm. uh ryan giggs a young ryan giggs not the kind of midfield playmaker that that came in the not in the noughties. Um, I went for Mark Overmars, Andre Konchelskis, and then my last one, I wanted to get a real old-fashioned 90s winger like the player I just described. So before I reveal the fifth one, will I give you a couple of the names that, that I'd considered? Okay, um, go on. So the ones that didn't so, make your list. 
Yeah, so I went with Jason. So, well, the ones I considered were Jason Wilcox, uh-huh. Steve Guppy, Steve Froggett, <laughs> Froggett Stuart Ripley, uh, Tony Daly. But the man I decided to go with, um, I used to love him when I was a kid, is uh, Rule Fox. Ah, oh, nice. I'm just writing all these names down for uh, the uh, quiz later when the season comes back. Uh, right, uh, Deck, I'll go to you. Who have you got? Um, I was actually tempted to put Rule Fox in, but then I realised that the only reason in the nineties that I liked him was just because his name was cool and I was only a child. So I said, <laughs> "I better not. I better not," because my argument will be over within ten seconds. So uh, that's a nice one from Pete. I'm I've gone for Mark Overmars as well, David Ginola, Ryan Giggs, and I've gone for Darren Anderton and David Beckham as well. So two slightly different wingers to the other three on my list. Okay, very good. And and who have you got? Yeah, I went um, a bit like Pete. I sort of toyed between, you know, about sort of three or four additional names who didn't make the list. Uh, but in the end, I went with um, David Ginola, um, Steve McManaman. Uh, I went, uh, like Deck, I went for Darren Anderson, slightly different kind of winger. Um, sort of 90s Ryan Giggs. And um, a bit kind of left of field, if you'll forgive the pun. I went for uh, one of my favourite ki- players growing up when I was a kid. It was uh, Patrick Berger. So I've gone for him. Nice. Very good. Okay. Uh, let's start with one that you've all chosen. Uh, we'll keep, keep gigs, I think, for a little while. And that's uh, David Ginola. Now, I know he featured um, on a 90s pod recently. Uh, Peter, I'm going to start with you then. Why is he making this list? Yeah, because he had it all, Sam. He was he was a beautiful bastard. He silky skilled, um, scored absolutely screamers. He just didn't score kind of normal goals. Um, you know, he he came to England after having a rough time when France. He was blamed for France not qualifying for the World Cup in nineteen ninety four. Um, he was part of Keegan's great entertainers and and arguably the most entertaining player of that. That really, really, t- that really, really good to watch team. Um, so a- after his time at Newcastle, where he scored kind of some iconic goals, Ferns Faras in in the five nil win against Un- uh, against United, he went on to Spurs, um, one player of the year in ninety uh, nine. Despite United winning the treble, bizarrely he only scored three goals. He was only a three or four season a goal man, but that just doesn't. That's a kind of argument against stats because he was just so good to watch. He was also a brilliant crosser the ball. Um, you know, over the spells at Newcastle and Spurs, he would have played with, with Les Ferdinand at both clubs, Shearer at Newcastle, sharing him uh, for a bit at Spurs as well. And, you know, he was, he was putting it on a plate for them fellas for, for a long time. Could, could go either way, a nightmare to play against. Gary Neville just did an interview recently where he talked about it. Um, could could come inside and shoot off his right, or he could go down and he could cross the ball as good as, if not better, than any naturally left-footed player. I was talking earlier about you know the the wingers of the nineties attacking the the outside all the time. In many ways, Ginola was kind of one of the first inverted wingers I remember, and you know the only man to win the PFA Player of the Year uh, for a club that finished in in the bottom half of the table. We we covered him on the nineties pod. We did did a good job with Stephen Tudor, the football uh, football writer, um, talked about just what a beautiful, cool motherfucker he is. You know, um, the brilliant moment at Villa when John Gregory, Gregory accused him of being overweight and he whipped off his top to 
to his chiseled abs. So uh, I'd encourage any listeners to go and listen to that pod because it's very, very good and they can hear my more in-depth thoughts about David Ginola. But uh, I'd say maybe ask one of the other lads in case regular listeners don't want to hear me repeating myself. So. Well, Deck, I'll go to you then because he, he was he was like a, a movie star, really. You know, in an era when you it was you had these like kind of still kind of chubby sort of players, these guys covered in bandages and blood, sweat and tears, and then this silken-haired, handsome Frenchman with all these tricks and, and things just arriving in the middle of it. And as Peter said, amazingly, his, his stats and his numbers weren't that great, but what he did was just it was so memorable. Yeah, well, as you said there, like a movie star, but just a little bit short of it, only being in uh, head and shoulders ads, which isn't too bad either. Like, but he was, uh, he he had he had that kind of persona when he when he arrived and he he you know entertained us on the pitch and obviously in in halftime intervals when the ads came on you get a glimpse of him as well washing his hair which is great. But he his as Peter mentioned his achievement of winning the PFA uh, Player of the Year and and the Football Writers Award in ninety eight ninety nine was unreal, especially how poor Spurs did also in the, in the PFA team of the year in 95, 96 as well. So like I know Peter mentioned it a bit about him being, being part of the Newcastle entertainers and he was definitely the one who entertained the most. And what actually stands out, like if, if you look back any clips of him or, you know, you you look at Premier League years and you'll see what game always comes up is Liverpool, Newcastle, the fourth three. And he had such an impact on that game in particular as well, which highlights what kind of a, what kind of a player he was? He was such an exciting player that they had to they had to watch him and worry about him as they went forward. They were always Liverpool were worrying about Ginola catching him on the break, but likewise he was actually I think he was at fault for a goal for two goals maybe in that game that Liverpool scored. One was he allowed McAteer just drift forward and get him behind him, put a cross in for one of the goals. But then on the other hand, he had just as big an impact in that game because John Scales stayed about twenty yards deeper than the whole defensive line at one point playing. Ginola on side, even though he the ball never went near him, and Aspria went in to score. So just that that's how much fear he put in players. And so like that's something as well that the stats won't tell you. The stats won't give him an assist for a goal like that, but it's it's as a direct result of how fearful they were of him that it led to a goal from someone else. So that's that's something that you can't you can't always use stats to say why a player was so good. You'd actually have to be able to see it when he's actually on the pitch and how good he was and like it's no it's no surprise that the two seasons that Newcastle finished second were the two seasons he was there. What is surprising is they signed him for two and a half million and they sold him for two and a half million. And that's after being in the team of the year and then he went on to be in the team of the year again and get the award the individual awards, which is it's mad when you think about it if if a player is winning those kind of awards and is that influential in a team. How how you can just call? Yeah, we'll break even on what we saw, what we signed for, signed him for. It's almost he, it's almost as though Newcastle are shit at business. Yeah, no, uh, that, I, I think <laughs> sorry. Part, part of it is well, a part of the reason why that fee was was cheap going to Spurs is because he was he was in his early thirties then, like he was thirty three when he won the PFA Player of the Year, which for a, a, a player in the nineties, like wingers. Wingers weren't usually in their prime in the 90s at the age of 33. Like, we didn't have the sports nutrition and, uh, you know, sports science that we we have now. Players are fitter than ever. Um, as you said, Sam, you know, the body shape and general fitness level of players was, was a different thing then. So I think the reason was that he people thought he was maybe coming to an end when he left Newcastle, but he was, he was breathtaking that season, absolutely breathtaking. You know, that iconic goal against... Um, 
against Barnsley as well. It's it him at his very best when he gets it kind of 40 yards out from goal and just slaloms his well, way through the entire defence. It's, it's, just, it's just magic to watch. Like. Do you know what, what's mad as well is in, in that season um, when United played, played Spurs in December, uh, United used five different players to man-mark him in that game. And definitely at least two of them got booked, but it just goes to show how influential and how unbelievable he was. And as you said, early 30s to mid-30s, and he's still, for to have that in effect against the team of United when they win the treble that year, it just shows how much of an unbelievable season he was having. Like, you know, obviously players will, will up their performance in individual games, but to do it against a team that was as dominant as United, to have that much of an impact in that game, especially when Spurs weren't even that good at the time, it just shows how, how impressive he was throughout the season. Well, for yeah, more... Gary Neville did a did an interview recently, and he said he was one of the most difficult to mark because you just didn't know if he was going to go down the outside or the inside. Whereas you kind of always knew ahead of time um, against most wingers back then. But there's some brilliant clips in that five nil game of Gary Neville trying to clean Ginola out, and Ginola just skips over him like he's not there. You know what I mean? So uh, he was a nightmare for them old old fashioned English fullbacks. The Lee Dixons, Gary Neville, well, maybe not Gary Neville, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, he was just a different kettle of fish than they'd have ever dealt with before, you know. Well, for, mo- for a more in-depth look at uh, Ginola, there's a whole pod dedicated to him. Go back through your feed and uh, you'll find it there. Uh, next, I want to go to, on to, uh, actually, this is quite interesting. It's another Spurs winger who's made it to the list despite being in a relatively poor pers- Spurs side. And I'm actually surprised I, I, he'd completely slipped my mind and maybe his reputation has done him some damage. That is sick note, Darren Anderton. Uh, Dick and Ant, you've both picked him. So Ant, uh, tell us why he's in this list. I think similar to you really, Sam, um, Darren Anderton was one of those players who he's not really a fashionable name. And I think because of the emergence of Beckham and the fact that he wasn't like a traditional player uh, Pacey Winger, the way we've all just been waxing lyrical about Ginola, who could bump, you know, who could just destroy defenders and do all this lovely skill. He's, Darren Anderson was just, much more of a. He's your. He's he is Euro ninety six to me. Yeah, exactly, and and uh, that's one of the things I wrote down when I was sort of doing my research because he's. It sounds like a really dismissive thing to say, but he's a nearly player, Darren Anderson. Like he was, he hit the post in that semi final against Germany, and. Had that had gone in, I, I'm confident the momentum behind England had that so they would have beaten the Czech Republic in the final. The whole, like, that there was such a good will about that team. In my opinion, it's that it's still England's strongest team of my life. Everyone talks about that golden generation of Ferdinand and Gerard and Lampard, but that Euro 96 team was really well balanced. It had such good players in it. And Anderton was, um, was, was on fire um, at that sort of time in his career and he also played for some Spurs teams which yo-yo dramatically I mean I was looking through the, the league positions that they finished when he was there and it was one year it was 15th the next year it was 7th then it was back down to 14th and 12th back up to 6th and 8th back down into a relegation fight and you you forget because of how well they've done in the past decade I suppose being back in the Champions League you forget just how underperforming Spurs were in the 90s to an extent but Darren Anderton was was a real quality player in the team, um, and and if you if you look at some of the link up play he does for some of the players like him and Teddy Sheringham had a really good relationship on the pitch. Two players who understood each other and some lovely lovely through balls and uh, and uh, distribution towards Sheringham, who spoke very highly of him. 
Um, Glenn Hoddle, actually going into the France 98, um, had said he thought he was a better player than Beckham uh, in terms of how well more rounded he was, in terms of what more he gave it on, on that flank defensive work and cover. Obviously, Beckham went on to, to blow that argument out the water, of course. But I just think with, um, with a player of his quality and his distribution, he, he's often overlooked. But... Um, I, I genuinely think he has he has got um, a lot to offer as as a sort of different kind of winger, if you like. Obviously, not the pace, not the flair, but the distribution and, and the eye for a pass, the eye for an, a worldy goal. There's also some of the goals he scored for Spurs were fantastic, really clean strikes. You know, a, a bold sort of eye for goal. Um, you know, he, he scored a couple against Coventry at the old Highfield Road ground. Um, and they were just sensational strikes if you get a chance to look them up on YouTube um, I think the other thing obviously everyone always talks about with Anderton because he became such a forgotten man was the injuries and obviously that horrible nickname sick notes that was was affiliated to him um, if you actually look at his, at his career over time he only retired I think in uh, 2008, 2009 and he was still playing in um, on, at the fourth level with Bournemouth in, the, in League 2 and this is a guy who just comes across in interviews as somebody who loved football, loved playing, appreciated what he had. And I think everyone just thinks that he was a guy who, you know, a bit like Michael Owen got accused of in his career, only really got up for the England team. But, you know, he, he played over, he played a lot of games for Spurs. He's their cool Premier League appearance holder, I believe. Um, and, you know, he, he played for the pain barrier quite a lot. He was quite candid in an interview with one of Spurs' social media channels and he basically said he, he had about two or three seasons with Spurs medical team when he was misdiagnosed and his fitness was um, was sort of trumped up to the to the to the first team coaches saying he was fitter than what he was, so he actually wasn't getting his recovery time. There was no sports science back then, so stuff like you know um, treatments were quite rudimentary. Uh, he turned up at Spurs with a hernia injury, which wasn't picked up on until about six or seven weeks into his time there. So it's actually quite. Um, it's actually quite brutal, some of the stuff he, he talks about at Spurs, but I genuinely do think he, he was a quality player of his time who is sadly overlooked. Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it, Deck? Because that is what, sadly, you know, I think he's most remembered for. It's interesting that I yeah. think both of you picked him and, and put him in this list despite that. Yeah, well, I mean, like, it's funny that, that we'd say he's remembered for, for his injuries or he's not remembered at all, but he he got thirty caps for England, like which is you know it's not that easy to do. Like um, he's he's probably and touched on it a bit there, and he got shafted a little bit at Spurs with the injuries because one person in particular who who'd have to take a lot of the blame of that is is Alan Sugar because he was he was chairman at the time and he leaked a lot of information about Anderton's injuries when when there was clubs wanting to sign him. He was leaking leaking stuff to the press saying, oh, he's got this injury, he's got that injury. You know, he he stopped him from getting a move to Man United at one stage because it was the same same time that Klinsman, Barnby and Popescu had left Spurs. So Alan Sugar forced him to sign a new contract when United were, were matching the release fee to sign him. So, you know, you can imagine how much of a difference it would have made to his legacy, I suppose, if he went on and played in a team that was dominating the Premier League for throughout the 90s rather than being in a in a Spurs team that was just bouncing around the middle to lower half end of the table, you know. Um, and, and it's funny, like, because Glenn Hoddle loved him so much that, and, and it was mentioning, but he loved him so much that he actually included him and Beckham in the starting lineup together a few times as well, both playing on the right-hand side, which 
you'd wonder like how how is that supposed to work? They're very very similar players, but one just playing slightly wider wider than the other, and that's I mean that's a testament to how obviously how good both those players would be. But it just shows how how highly regarded he was, and he was one of the he was one of the players part of the the League Cup win in '99 for for Spurs. Him and Ginola in that both same squad, so he's probably not has had as much success as you know the the more well remembered players, but. Any success around Spurs at at that time was partly in you know can be attributed to him and his performances as well. So he does he definitely in, deserve a mention. He was strongly quoted as well, wasn't he? That he, you, you mentioned the day yourself that Man United were, were seriously in for him. Obviously, Sugar wasn't for selling, but when he was at Portsmouth, um, we we beat them in, in the semi final of the FA Cup, and I think Liverpool were very keen on getting him. But I think he was he, he was just a bit, a bit of a southern boy and he, he didn't want him to move up north by all accounts. But for Liverpool and Manchester United to go in for him just just shows you the you know the, the esteem that he was held. Yeah, I think lads, the the, re, the really crazy stat about him is that he's um, Spurs record appearance maker in the Premier League. He made two hundred and ninety nine appearances for Spurs. Um, in, the, in the top flight, which that. is exactly because he, I know people. You're saying people call him sick now, but he did actually. When he, in my mind, he was constantly out injured. You know, um, so like 299 games. That's say over a 10 year period, averaging 30 a season. That he he must have actually. Good. It's probably because of the name that's in our subconscious, but and maybe he wasn't out injured. But I honestly remember him barely ever ever being available. But based on the amount of games he played. He clearly was playing a lot more than 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 you know than I seem to think. Um, but I would like I'd I'd argue which is on this lads that like the the winger I'm talking about in the nineties maybe and Anderton and Beckham aren't really that out and out winger that they were both brilliant. Like Beckham's the best crosser of the ball I, I've ever seen, and Anderton was like a precursor to him in many ways. But I think both of them are kind of. Are, probably grew up as central well they did grew up as central midfielders went out on the right when they were younger probably to get into the team but because of like you said Ant, their distribution their crossing ability they didn't need to be the man to get the cross in they just needed a yard of space and they'd curl them around them so although they were massively effective I classed them as right midfielders and not wingers if you get me yeah, I, 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 yeah. I mean Anderson started as a striker I think so okay. yeah, you can you know it's it's a fair point, but at the same time, what's more winger? What's more of a winger than getting crosses into the box yeah, for because yeah. the head head goals in? So to me, that's that's a winger, like someone who's getting crosses in. So I I'd counter your point with that one, like you know. Yeah, well, well, well Dick, you you had Beckham in there as well, and I, I think he he does deserve a mention because while he didn't have pace, he was able to always engineer that yard that Peter mentioned there, and as you said, his crossing ability is. Well, second to none in the Premier League era. Well, yeah, like I mean, as as a coach as well, it's something that we'd always we'd always talk to players about. You know, you if you're trying to make a point to a striker about what you want your strikers to do, you'd always go go back and look at York and Cole and look what they did when Beckham was on the wing. So when the ball's out wide, this is the movement expect to cross in, and then you'd go to your wide players, and, and this is now like in modern football, we're talking to to right side and left side of midfielders saying or wingers, whatever you want to call them, and go. When you get the ball in this area, this is what you need to be getting. Ball out of your feet, get crosses in, like Beckham used to be able to do. And so that that tells its own story that, well, one side, it's, he stood the test of time as a, as a winger to me, being able to still be spoke about now as a player who gets the ball into the box. But at the same time, it does, it does show how he's probably more of a modern player in one way. But 
his technique, you know, 20 years of age, he gets into, into United's team in 96. He's in the PFA team of the year, 96, 97, 97, 98, 98, 99, 99, 2000. So basically, as soon as he broke into the United team, he was he was the best right-sided midfielder or right-winger in the 90s in the Premier League because he was in the team of the year every single season after that So in the, in the 90s. So I think you can't, you can't make a case against him for being in there when when he's he's the ultimate right-sided player. Like, I guess the idea really is that, I don't know, when we were younger, I don't know what the positions were in your under 10 or under 11 t- team, but there was midfield, and within midfield there was right-centre and then there was outside-right or outside-left. And Bex, probably in your head, is, is is like a right midfielder as opposed to outside right. Yeah, were you brought up in the 1930s? Maybe my coach was. <laughs> maybe, maybe my coach was. But, you know. right. well, listen, sure. well, we, we, used to, we, we used to, to play in the, we used to play in the MW formation. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're looking at you're looking at your your inside right there, and he's in black and white, so it's very difficult to know what position he was in, Sam. Well, you know, when, you, when you've got those, uh... I was, I was back in them days, mate. You are. How <laughs> was Tom Finney back then? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right, uh, we'll move on from Beckham and uh, go to a, a more traditional sort of outside uh, left player. That was Mark Overmars, Peter. Uh, he makes it into your list and actually Dex as well. Yeah, Overmars was pure class. You know, he was part of that. Um, he was part of the Ajax team, the really exciting young Ajax team that caught every football fan's imagination when they won the Champions League 94-95 under Louis van Gaal. Um he got a really bad injury, actually, the season after that. Ajax got to the final again of the Champions League, and then the team really broke up. But the Premier League, a lot of Premier League fans mightn't, you know, might find it hard to believe, but kind of mid to late 90s, the Premier League still wasn't seen anywhere near the level of La Liga or Serie A still at that stage, because... You know, most of the of the big names from, from that team, like Davids, Davids went to Juve, I think it was, and Kluivert went to um, Barcelona, Zidorf goes to Real Madrid. Um, and a lot of people thought Overmars, because he was his biggest asset was his pace, he was unbelievably quick. They used to call him the road runner, he was so fast. A bit like Ginola, he, he played on the uh, played on the left. Uh, even though he was right-footed, but way more direct than he, this. Would this guy was the kind of player who knocked it by and ran past you? He didn't need to trick or anything like that because well, when you have pace like that, what's what's the point in beating around the bush? A lot of people thought his knee injury uh, was so bad that he he'd never recover his pace, and that's kind of why he went to Arsenal. Um, probably would have went to. A, a club more prestigious or a league more prestigious at the time. Obviously, that's changed now, you know. Um, well, not completely, but it has changed a, a fair bit. Um, so, you know, came came to Arsenal. He was part of, of Wenger's first really good Arsenal team that, that won the, the double in 97-98. In they reigned Man United in that season and, and he scored a, a famous goal at Old Trafford that kind of clinched the league for them. So, um, yeah, just, you can't get away from it, it, the pace with Overmars. He, he was a truly world-class player that came to the Premier League around that time. There wasn't many of them there. 
and his pace was just absolutely frightening. You know, a lot of us would think back to the kind of, say, the 2002, 2003, the kind of invincible Arsenal's, where they played an awful lot of kind of intricate passing football, and that went on and on. But them early Ar- Arsenal teams under Wenger, they were really reliant on the counter-attack, and uh, Mark Overmars was, you know, was, was their, one of their main threats. You know, he had Dennis Bergkamp slipping him in, Yudin Wright up front, Anelka up front, um, so yeah, like absolutely top top. Don't forget goal. Christopher Ray. Christopher Ray. <laughs> yeah. how, how could I forget? Lewis Boamorte was in there too. But um, yeah, no, like well, like I said, he, well, he was he was just so exciting, Jack, wasn't he? Christopher Ray. <laughs> well, yeah. That, <laughs> no, uh, well, yeah. We, we'll save that for another specialized nineties pod. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, yeah, no, like I mean, as as Peter was saying there, like the the game against uh, Man United, when which virtually sealed the title for Arsenal. It, funny, it was it was in March they were playing, and I think there was a nine point difference between Arsenal and United. So United were nine points ahead, but Arsenal had a game in hand or two games in hand or something along those lines, and. This was when I think John Curtis was playing right back for uh, for United in that game. I, I don't know was it his debut, but it was one of his early games for United. And I mean, people are probably listening on who's John Curtis and what is an early game for him. We never heard of him, so that just says what happened to him after that game. Overmars absolutely ripped him apart. Gary Neville was playing as a right-sided centre half inside John Curtis, and he just Overmars tangled him up for the whole game. Um, I think he had a goal disallowed for offside, or he had he had a couple of chances that really, you know, rocked United early on and then went on and he scored he scored the goal that, that basically won the game, put him in the driving seat for the title. When they clinched the title in a four 0 win over Everton, he scored two brilliant solo goals in that game. So it just epitomized what he was all about, getting the ball, running direct at players, causing havoc in the defence and either going for goal himself or looking to looking for the runners of, of that as that Pete mentioned there. But he scored in the FA Cup final that, that season again as well, the opening goal when they beat Newcastle. So he was pivotal in, in Arsenal doing the double that season. Got 12 goals, five assists, which is, you know, we spoke about it earlier, wide players at the time. It was about crosses and all that and creating from out wide. But he was he chipped in with more goals and assists that he did that season. And it was, it was crucial for Arsenal. Um, he only spent three years there, which... Is mad. Like he scored, he scored 25 goals in 100 games over three years, and he was actually voted in 2008 as Arsenal's 12th greatest ever player. So, for three years' work, it's not too bad. Like it just shows how much of an influence he had on that on the club. Really, you know, as Pete said, he he was pivotal in them in them having success that year. But not only his influence on Arsenal as a club, which is quite good, his influence on possibly the modern era of winger, like that midfield. They had Parler, Petit, Vieira, Novamers in what you'd consider a 4-4-2. But really, you look at it, it was more Overmars playing way higher up the pitch in a kind of a lopsided 4-3-3 with, with Vieira and Petit holding and Parler just tucking in, giving that bit of balance. And it it's you could make a case to say that Overmars was the definitive person who started off this modern era of wingers, you know, playing way higher up the pitch and cutting in and causing mayhem rather than just being an up-and-down kind of attack, defend, attack, defend kind of player, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Deck, it's, it's a very... Um, he Like you said, the lob sort of 4-3-3, four, four, three, three, but that's what... Um, like, I lived over in Holland for a while, and every team plays 4-4-3. Four, four, like, I mean, religiously. Like the way in Ireland, they probably still play 4-4-2, four, four, but I think it's changed a lot now. But, but honestly, every team plays it, so he would have been used to that. But, like, to show the level he was at even 
after he'd been written off, he does well at, at United. He goes out. He he got a move to Barcelona. Yeah. Arsenal. Like that well-trodden path. Either you know Dutch players, former Ajax players, going to going to uh, to the new camp, and then a lot of players have gone from from Arsenal to to Barcelona as well. So you know he he didn't you know he didn't wind down his career at Arsenal, or you know he was never not at his peak while he was in the Premier League. And the fact that Barcelona came in for him tells you how good he'd been for them three years. But like. Jesus, you wouldn't want to be marking him if you were right back, would you? He'd just knock it by and there's nothing you could do about it. He was so fast. Yeah, and it's great to remember him, actually. He's another player I haven't thought of in absolutely ages. And he was he was just so good at that time. Uh, and I'm going to move on to you now. And uh, another player who had some good years in Spain after playing in the Premier League. Uh, a man that, uh, similar to Darren Anderton, I associate with Euro 96 an awful lot. Uh, a man that you've put down here as Boz Manaman. That's Steve McManaman. Tell me why he should be in the list. Yeah, um... It, as as a kid growing up watching Liverpool, it was one of my first kind of one of my first favourite players. Really watching him, um, just a floppy-haired winger bombing bombing on down the down the flank. And Liverpool have sort of had a great history with wingers right up until that point as well. And everyone who saw them puts them up there with some of the some of the greats who ever played for the club. And it's a great compliment when you can see like the likes of Highway and John Barnes. People like that who preceded him, and, and McManaman was right up there. And I, I think what was so good about it was he was an instinctive footballer. Um, he had that wonderful ability to show the ball to the defenders, like almost to the point that they looked like they were going to nick it off him, and he he'd just whip it past them and leave them completely bewildered, whilst taking out about two or three players at the same time and just causing loads of chaos and creating all manner of space on the pitch. And there's so many like uh, iconic moments that he, he managed in the 90s when Liverpool were really massively underperforming at the time as well. And a bit like Darren Anderton, Liverpool were full of like nearly players, like they were almost at that level. But McManaman superseded all of them, really. And uh, with the possible exception of Fowler, those two were just uh, a cut above a lot of what we had there. And I remember his performance in in the uh, in the League Cup final when I was a kid, and just being blown away by how good he was. And a lot of people say it was only Bolton, but he absolutely roasted them uh, in that game, and it was the quintessential performance of a winger in his pomp, like just cutting in and and, and destroying defenders and dribbling past people. To the, the second goal he scored, it, it's almost like what you think of when you think of a winger cutting in from the flank and beating a man and curling one into the corner. He was he was superb at that, and later on when Evans sort of came in ninety four ninety five, he he did slightly tweak the chemistry with McManaman a little bit, and he, he did become a bit more of an inverted player, a bit more of a, a playmaking role. Um, but he still had that like electric pace and that ability to to dance past people with wonderful skill, um, and just just as I say, just it all seemed quite easy for him. He was almost languid in his style. And uh, I, I remember coming home, I'd, I'd missed the game, I can't even remember what I was doing. And my dad was just going on about this goal he scored against Celtic, so I didn't see it live, I saw it on the news. And I'd never seen a goal like it, it was just unbelievable. He, he just he picked up the ball in his own half and just bombed the entire length of the field, beat about three defenders and lashed it into the far corner. But he, he, it was just the way he travelled at speed with such grace and composure, and it just, it just summed him up so well. Um, it, it, it broke a lot of people's hearts how he left. I mean, he, he was, he was um, kind of 
used as a, as a bit of a bargaining chip, and Liverpool were trying to get a trying to get a great deal for him in 1998. They, they were, I think there was 12 million quid on the table at one point from Barcelona, and Liverpool had, had stipulated that they were prepared to cash in on him. And the story goes that he wasn't happy at all about that. He, he was quite hurt and he, he thought he, he just felt like a bit of a devalued player and he, he wouldn't sign contracts that were put in front of him. So there's this sort of the, the side narrative that he left on a free under a cloud and we, we, we could have cashed in on him. But um, to me, it's one of the great shames because although we underachieved, if you look at what we did do, we, he won the FA Cup, he won the League Cup. We had a couple of close runs in the title um, we, we lost another FA Cup final. We got to the semi-finals of the Cup Winners' Cup. And he came, as he was leaving, Julio was just establishing a team that he took from rank mediocrity to, to prize winners almost almost overnight, really. Within two years, Liverpool went from finishing eighth to finishing third and winning you know, five trophies in a year. And I, I always thought, what if McManaman had played for that team under Julio, you know, when we were so robust, almost sort of um, dogged in defence, and a player like McManaman with that natural width and um, being able to to cut, you know, to, to break at speed with him, I think we would have achieved quite a bit more had he stayed. It's a shame, really, but he was definitely in his um, definitely in his prime years when he was at Liverpool. Yeah, I, I bet he's kicking himself. <laughs> yeah, I think he did. Well, that's, that's the thing. Yeah, that, that's the thing. He, he, he did go on to Real Madrid and, and, and have that wonderful spell where you know, he won the European Cups. He had that wonderful performance against Manchester United. And I think one of the great compliments um, that were paid to him was that the fact that, I think, I think it was Figo or it was one of the other Galacticos that had said in the press, I can't believe this guy's not playing for England week in, week out. We can't believe he's only got 30 caps. He should be England's best player. You know, I think they were all a bit yeah, well, they, they, they absolutely love him in Madrid, don't they? I mean, because he played himself into that team and, and, well, yeah, like you said, won a European Cup there as well. Um, I'm going to go on. Peter, to be honest, you're you're preaching to the choir here with this one. It's uh, He's had a whole pod devoted to him, so we'll keep this short. It's Andre Kinchalskis. Yeah, I know. I know he's definitely getting in, Sam, because I know how much you, you love him. We all know you come from from such a privileged background that you were able to afford Kanchelskis on the back of your jersey as a kid. Uh, I can tell you it was a fake jersey, but look, he even if it wasn't, he was an outside right like me at the time. <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> You know what? It's, it's, it's funny, right? Because obviously, as you said, the very first 90s Football Home of, Hall of Fame pod we did was um, on Andre Kanchelskis. And I had my and I had in my mind as this ultimate go down the outside and get your cross in winger, um, full of pace, really good in the counter attack was Andre Kanchelskis. But I think Ant will say the same. Ant was on that pod too. When we actually went back and looked at the goals, that's doing a massive disservice to how good of an all round footballer Andre Kanchelskis was. He wasn't just going down and getting uh, getting crosses in. He was. He, obviously, he could do that, but he was capable of cutting in, pinging goals into the top corner with his left foot. He'd score headers. Part of, like, do you remember You remember the early days when there was gigs on the left, Kanchelskis on the right, how good United were on, on the counter. Schmeichel would come out, catch a, uh, a corner, just launch a throw into the opposition half. And, you know, he scored one against QPR, I think it is. He just runs through and, and slots at home. But such a good finisher. Like I said, just a, a, to just describe him as just an old-school winger is, is actually a massive disservice. He was, he was top drawer. And, 
kind of a, a precursor in many ways to that multifunctional attacking player that can just do anything and play in any position that that is commonplace now. Um, and again, like I said, I'm very surprised. I, I don't, you know, my overriding memory wasn't necessarily um, like that of him. Um, but yeah, just a, a, such a 90s story as well that like, you know, United were searching, trying to get their first win, title win in 26 years. Fergie wants a winger, so he signs this lad from Shakhtar Donetsk um, for 650000 after watching a VHS tape of him. Um, you, like, you just can't get much better. Loads of murky stories then in the background you know, of his agent. He wanted to get a move out of United, so his agent left forty grand in cash in uh, Fergie's port. His, Fergie's wife found the cash, <laughs> didn't know what to do with it. So yeah, and, and like we we go, we wax lyrical about all this in the nineties in the other nineties pod. So really go and and get it, give it a listen. But in terms of an early nineties out out and out winger, and like I said, all round uh, attacking player, he's he's right up there with the best. He went on to Everton after a couple of years at United. He won won two league titles at United after we came second to Blackburn and, and lost the FA Cup final to Everton in ninety five. Um, he, he actually got so, he was sold to Everton then. Um, he, you know, Everton fans have a lot of time for him as well. Put on some good performances there. Interesting fact: if you're ever doing uh, quizzes with your mates or a football table quiz, he scored in the Merseyside, the Glasgow, and the Manchester derby. Um, went to he Fiorentina. Played for any worse clubs, really? Could he? <laughs> went to, uh, he went to Fiorentina after. I don't think it really suited him over there because you know. He liked a bit of space to, to run into, and he had some some bad injuries. Ended up coming back and playing for playing for Rangers and then Man City, all clubs. But um, his real peak was them kind of three years at United at, as part of Fergie's kind of great first United team. He was a real spearhead of of, of their danger in in attacking areas. So uh, yeah, a player I love, and uh, I, as I said at the start, I know he's going to make it in. Because you're a massive fanboy, Sam. I am indeed. Uh, so you could have said anything there for the last five minutes and uh, it wouldn't have made a difference. But uh, you've got a bit more work on your hands to get Rule Fox in there. I'm going to stick with you, Peter. Yeah, like I said, I just I really wanted to get one of these kind of old-fashioned wingers that we dis- discussed at the top. And a bit like Deck, I liked his name. It was, it was, it was exotic in the early 90s, especially the moment. <laughs> um, and, you know, he was part of part of that Norwich team that like everyone tipped to go down in 92, 93 and then ended up leading the league for like the first six or seven months. Um, he's an Ipswich boy, played for Norwich, even though they're great rivals. But he really was that kind of, he was really quick, kind of like a, like a rounder 90s version of Aaron Lennon, I suppose. Um, kinda, That's a great description. That's a really good description. Yeah, so he... Uh, yeah, he was really one who attacked on the outside and, and got his cross in. Um, like he went, to, he went to Newcastle ninety four for two point two five million. Kevin Keegan said he was the be- best winger in the country when he signed him. Um, Steve, the, the host of, of the other pod, will, will laugh, but I am really going to say two point two five million in nineteen ninety four was a lot of money because Roy Keane had just gone for three point seven five. That was the English record at the time. Um, he was part of the first kind of iteration of Keegan's great entertainers when Newcastle came up, Andy Cole scored 35-odd goals, I think. Um, Peter Beardsley was in that team as well. Rob Lee was was uh, another really good attacking midfielder. Kind of got phased out a bit of um, 
at Newcastle then when they signed Janola and, and Ferdinand, I, I think it was. So uh, ended up going to Spurs and he, he played 100 games for Spurs. Would have actually been um, in the, you know, Janola would have been on the left. I suppose three of the three players we're talking about here played for that Spurs era team. Then you had either Darren Anderton or, or Real Fox on the right. Um, he went to, he ended his career at West Brom then. But really, like I said, just just such an entertaining, get the ball head down, try and beat your man and get it into the box, full of pace. Not really many tricks. It, it was kind of, do you know that move that so many, like so many 90s wingers did where they get it out wide, they kind of inch to come to come into the pitch and then cut back out and down the sideline. Kind of like the reverse Aryan Robin. You know it's coming, but it's hard to stop when a player's kind of that fast. Um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm going to fight Real's cause, and I think I think the reason the real reason that England didn't win Euro '96 is because they didn't include him in their squad. <laughs> he just he's, been, he's a non-league chairman, no, Pete. I think is he? Witten United FC um, didn't make it into the '99 Spurs League Cup winning squad, which I think we can all agree is one of the the true travesties of of English football. And then he he runs in Ipswich. <laughs> He re- runs a restaurant in Ipswich at the moment, lads, as well. And I'm going to propose live on air that the football faithful, we have our Christmas party at Rule <laughs> Fox's restaurant in Ipswich next year. I bet you he does a great steak. Bet he does. <laughs> bet, he, bet he does. Uh, just one more player apart from Giggs, who I'm going to be honest, lads, is getting in. Uh, and that's Patrick Berger. Why should he get in this list? And. Yeah, Paddy Berger was, um, again, just uh, as a kid growing up, one of my favourite Liverpool players. Um, to, to give you some context, like when we signed him, we'd brought in half a decade's worth of continental dross at Liverpool. And I think there would, we all knew him because he was 96, but we all kind of looked at each other because he hit the crown running for Liverpool. And we're like, oh, bloody hell, we might have actually signed a foreign player who was actually quite good here. And it was actually quite a nice thing. Deck will tell you that some of the plays we brought in prior to him had been a bit, a bit dubious. I mean, they, they, they could have got you very high scrabble scores with the, with the surnames, but they weren't very good footballers. Like so, Patrick Berger was a bit of a coup for us. He just helped uh, British Dortmund win the uh, the Bundesliga, and he he'd actually recovered from a really nasty bout of flu before Euro '96, which um, made him put in some below par uh, below par performances. Uh, at that tournament, he was actually dropped by the uh, the Czech team in, in the knockout stages, and I think uh, it was Vladimir Smyser had to go away for personal reasons, and he was brought back into the team, and obviously uh, scored in the final, and 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 that the rest was history for him, I guess. But by the time we got him, it was it was clear that he he really was a, a, a decent footballer, and he, he scored six goals in his first three games for Liverpool, um, came off the bench against Leicester and scored twice. Um, scored against Chelsea a couple of times, and we all sort of pinched ourselves that we had this player. Unfortunately, he had he had that sort of um, annoying habits of drifting out to games. He would have sort of quiet spells, but when he was at his best, he was he was superb. He had that wonderful ability to knock it past the player. Great composure. I mean, I mentioned McManaman before. He didn't actually score many goals, McManaman, for a player of his ability. But Berger's goal return was pretty handy um, for the short spell of time. He had a horrendous injury problem sort of in the second half of his Liverpool career but in that first spell he was actually quite prolific for us um, if you look my, at some of the goals he my, scored my image, was, of him, my image of him Matt, is, is as a much more central player 
Well, that was the thing. He he was actually quite a um, a versatile player. The, the first thing Gerard Hulier did was to shove him out onto the wing when he got in there. But um, Roy Evans' system was a three-five-two, and uh, obviously the, the, the fullbacks bombed forward and overlap McAteer and people like that were getting forward. And Ber- uh, Berger could play in that kind of attacker midfielder role. So. I guess he is kind of more like a, just, a, just a generic attacking player who, who could operate on the left flank, cut inside into the middle and play as a number 10. Um, could even get forward and, and play as part of a front three, I guess, as well. Um, but he, he was just... I just remember him being wonderfully composed in front of the goal. Um, he scored hat-trick against Chelsea. And if you look at all three goals, they're, they're fantastic. Like, uh, the, he chips at the hoys, he comes out uh, for one of them. Uh, he takes it round the keeper for his hat trick goal. Real, real composed piece of football. Thinks it in uh, in front of the cop. Um, very, very good footballer in terms of set pieces and distribution as well. Um, scored a screamer at Old Trafford from about thirty-five yards out from the free kick. And just the kind of player who who you know gets fans excited, gets you off your seat. Real flair player might not have done his work rate, might have left a lot of pizza desire for the modern game in terms of I don't think he like getting down and dirty and doing some of the track packing stuff, but he really was um, he really was an exciting player to watch uh, at the time, and I think a lot of Liverpool fans took him to the took him to their hearts. And I, I always remember my favourite moment of him, uh, apart from all, all the goals, my favourite moment was that through ball to Michael Owen in the FA Cup final when he he just slices Arsenal's defence wide open and plays this gorgeously timed and weighted through ball into Owen who goes on to score the winner and it was just a sign of what a good footballer Berger was he he had that in his game as well as everything else Just time for one more player and that is uh, Ryan Giggs now you've you've all included him in your list so he's definitely going to be going in Uh, Deck I'm actually going to go to you uh, first on this and apologies as a Liverpool fan to wax lyrical about one of the you know great United players of the 90s but he kind of transcends that a little bit. He's just an unbelievable player, a legend of the Premier League, and maybe it's best ever winger. Oh, yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, look, he's he was unreal. Like from he was again another fellow who was in the PFA team of the year in the in the ninety two ninety three season, like which shows how long he played in the Premier League and how he adapted his game so many different times to just stay relevant and keep himself in and amongst the starting lineups of unfortunately one of the the best teams ever so like what he did is unreal um he could cross he could run he could dribble he could shoot he could take free kicks he, he could do it all to be fair and the the goal he scored i know it's it's not premier league it's the fa cup but the goal against arsenal in the fa cup uh, I can't remember what year it was i think it's 99 was it was that the 99 it was the yeah. yeah that like that goal unbelievable like it just shows how good of a player he was and it, that that's his ability summed up in one goal I don't know was it did Vieira play the ball straight to him I think he intercepted a pass so defensively switched on wins the ball beats three or four players and smashes one into the roof of the net and then in typical 90s fashion whips off his jersey to display an absolute garden of hair on his <laughs> chest so yeah, fair play to him. Good player. And and again, averaged a goal or assist every other game throughout the decade of the 90s, which, I mean, that's that says it all, really. It's not bad, Peter. I mean, he, he is the all-time uh, assist record holder in the Premier League with 162, which is uh, fairly impressive. Um, as you mentioned a bit earlier, he did drop back into midfield later in his career, but he was just so electric when he came onto the scene first go, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's kind of 
the issue with with gigs. Not that it's a negative. Um, it, it's just and it, the same for a lot of players. We kind of remember ha- how they were towards the end of their career instead of sometimes remembering just how exciting they were when they were, you know, when they burst onto the scene. Um, you know, I, I'd say he's probably maybe the first real poster boy of of the Premier League era. Like, he was a superstar, you know. He was compared to George Best when he came through. That's how big the hype was around him. You know, he won the, the Young Player of the Year in 91, 92, 92, 93. Um, funny you're saying about the stat, stats, because I remember one accusation against him because he was so quick and he was such... He was an amazing dribbler. Like, that that goal against Arsenal to a point, like Jack was saying, you know, the way he swallows in and out, slaloms in and out, his body twisting, um, you know, sending defenders the wrong way just by, by shaping his body. Um, he had such balance and grace when he ran with the ball. But a lot of people said he wasn't a good crosser in his early days. And he obviously, he worked on that and, and became a, a lot better. So... I'm kind of saying a lot of people remember this kind of central midfield playmaker, but, you know, the early Ryan Giggs was just this electric left-sided winger who, like I was say, saying right at the top, attacked the outside. He'd cut it, he'd come in, bring the full back in a bit, then knock it out, you know, knock it uh, towards the line, pass the defender, and he'd be putting crosses into the, into the box all day. Some some massive performances for United um you know, against, especially in Europe, I remember the early kind of mid-90s and stuff, he always used to show up, especially against against the Italian teams. Some brilliant goals, if anyone wants to watch them, of, of him and his absolute prime as a, as a young winger. There's one against QPR, there's one against Spurs when uh, when the stay, when the stand is getting rebuilt at, um, at Old Trafford, he, you know, he intercepts the ball, nutmegs um, a central defender around the goalkeeper. It's just just so so much pace, like Ferguson, and I think one of the chief scouts. I can't remember. I really should have looked up the the um, the exact quote, but they basically both say that he's the one player they knew the moment they saw him when he was thirteen that he'd go on and play for Man United for many many years. And there's a quote something like he ran like a copper spaniel. Copper cop. Uh, sorry. There's a. I'll, I'll start that again. So there's a quote. Uh, one of them said that he ran like a cocker spaniel after after a plastic bag in a field. That's how you know free he was running after the ball, even even as a as a kid. Um, yeah, obviously cl- part of the class in '92 as well. Thirteen Premier Leagues. I mean, it's just that's just a joke. That's just taking the piss. Um, but I suppose we're talking about the '90s here, and that's when he was just this breathtaking. Um, uh, mash of pace of skill and there was just so much balance when when he when he ran with the ball the way his body moved but, well he... you know you talk about players who play on their other side and cut inside or wingers of this era kind of knocking it on the outside and chasing after it he cut in and out it always seemed he just had players backpedaling not knowing which way he was going to go he was he was phenomenal to watch and just breathtaking to see actually on the ball at that pace yeah, no, hundred percent. He's one. He's one of the greatest kind of dribblers, you'd say as well. In the early years, you know, one of one of the such a great left foot, an, an absolute. It was a joy to see him in in the, in those early years, and you know, he he definitely went on to to justify all the hype. But there's no getting away from it as well. It's just the mark of the man to convert yourself into 
into a completely different player, like and keep going till you're 39 or 40 is just is it's just beyond belief, you know. Um, like how well, many players- have to, having to run around behind your brother's back as well at the same time, it's unreal. It's yeah, un- unbelievable pace, and you know, I mean, he's always running. <laughs> His positional <laughs> sense was unbelievable. <laughs> Slightly offside, I'd say. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. A little Good. bit. Uh, right. Well, do, do you want to hear my five, lads? Go on. Right. Uh, my go five. On. My five. Uh, I've gone with Ginola because you've all chosen him, and uh, yeah, I mean, what an unbelievable player and an icon from that era. Kinchelskis, I have to pick because he's one of my all-time favourite players. Uh, Maka, I've gone with as well and I'm cl- including him in my top five. Overmars is in there and obviously Giggs makes it to the, to, uh, well, he's, he's the captain of my five-a-side team of, uh, of wingers. It's uh, it's a decent it's a decent five players. You know what I was go I was thinking about Bex. We we barely touched on him, Dick. I was really thinking about putting him in there, but uh, unfortunately he didn't quite make it. But I'm sure uh, we'll have more to talk about with him in future pods. Uh, do you want to have a very quick quiz? Yeah, go on. Yeah, go. On. Very very quick one. Just as we mentioned, Ryan Giggs, 162 assists. Can you give me the other top ten? Yeah, Peter. All of them. I don't have I to give them all. That. I mean, you you can give them as they you know just as they come to yeah, your head. You lose a life, right? You got two lives each. You lose a life if you say one who isn't in the top ten. Okay. I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Dennis Bergkamp, Cesc Fabregas. Um, Dennis Bergkamp, Cesc Fabregas. Uh, anyone else wants to jump in? It's fine. But if you say a wrong one, you lose a life. And. and that, um, I'll go for uh, Steven Gerrard and David Silva. Steven, they're both in there as well, yeah. Peter, Peter. Peter. Frank Lampard. Lampard's in there, yeah. Deck. Deck. Is Ozil in there? Ozil is not in there, no, lose a life. Peter. Peter. Paul Scholes. Paul Scholes is not in there, lose a life. What? How many have we got? He's not in the top ten. Not in the top ten, no. You've Ant. got you've got gigs, you've Ant. got uh, Ant... Ant. James Milner. James Milner is in there, yeah. Oh, is he? Yeah. Yeah, he is, yeah. So who have you said? We've got gigs, obviously. You've said Lampard. Uh, you've said David Silva. Milner. Who else did you say? Gerard Fabregas. Gerard Fabregas, yeah. Who, Dick? De Bruyne must be in there, is he? No, he's not. No, he's, he's not 50. there, yeah. Just got 50. Um, oh, there's a couple of really obvious ones here, I'd say. A Chelsea team... Uh, and uh, Thierry Henry is he in there? He's not. Peter Wayne Rooney. Wayne Rooney is there. He's third on one hundred and three. Yeah, yeah. What place are we missing, Sam? What um, what position are we missing? Uh, on the top 10? ten, nine. I think ten and nine. Let's see. You said Giggs. You said Rooney. You said Lampard. I've said them all, but I've, I've Fabregas. You said. I know you're saying I've no lives left now. Is Le- Leighton Baines must be in there, is no, he? No, he's not. Oh, no. Oh, there's something really obvious here. She's got the Arsenal team, the Chelsea team. Um, Hang on, let's have a little think here. So hopefully you haven't missed any of the ones. I'm just going to read them out. So you said Giggs, obviously, Fabregas, Rooney, Lampard. Did you say Burkamp? Oh, Ant. Yeah, I Ant. said Burkamp. Burkamp, Ant? Uh, Beckham, of course. We Beckham's Beckham. number nine, yeah. I thought we said him. I thought you agreed he was in there at the start, no? Or it was Giggs you said? Giggs, yeah, no, Giggs. Oh, I wasn't saying Beckham, I thought you mentioned him. Yeah, yeah. Burkamp, Gerard, Silva, 
uh, David Silva, that is James Milner, Beckham, and number ten. Who's number ten? Oh, I'll tell you who it was. I, I did that. Um, I did that thing last night, Pete, on David Silva. It's. Um, I, I, I was looking at the. I was looking at the bloody names last night. Um, it's. It's what's it, It's Teddy Sheringham. It is Teddy Sheringham. Very oh, good. God, Teddy. Very, very, very good. Thierry Henry then is actually 11th. He's had two less than showing him. Uh, good job, though, lads. Very well done. Uh, completed that a lot sooner than I thought you would. Excellent. Uh, we'll is be back again. You are? Is that the end of the quiz? That's it, yeah. The dejection in Pete's voice, though. I know, yeah. I've got fucking shit to be getting on with, Peter, sitting here listening to you for another hour. Uh, right, uh, that's pretty much it for this week's episode. We'll be back again, and of course there'll be a 90s episode in your feed too. And uh, and that's it for me. Just time to say thanks to Peter. Thanks, Peter. Cheers, lads. Thanks, Zach. Thank you. Cheers, Ant. Thanks, one, lads. Cheers, enjoyed that. And goodbye from me. We'll see you next time.